Good evening. Happy Monday evening. Hope everyone had a nice Monday and a nice weekend. I had a crazy weekend because um, I came in on Saturday after helping the other church move to its new location. Well, its renovated location. I'm glad I helped them because they came and helped us. And now they're having their Sunday worship back in their um, original church, but it's renovated. And uh, I was happy to help them and just give them a hand. It made me feel good. And then I came home and my phone wasn't picking up the Wi-Fi. My computer was still working and then I decided to reboot my modem. And I think I ended up frying it. And then I had to, it was like four hours of frustration, like what's wrong? I tried to reset my phone back to an earlier state of configuration, but I kind of messed up the phone because I did not have a very um, relevant backup copy. Uh, It wasn't... um, it wasn't more up to date. It was an, a very early backup copy. You know how you change your phone around? If you have an Apple phone, I don't know about an Android phone, but if you have an Apple phone, you should always be doing backups through iTunes. So if you do backup, if you do restore your phone, your phone will be um, your phone will be very uh, up to date. But mine was so out of date that uh, that the phone was just you know the apps it was just a lot of different apps that I'd had before and that wasn't the problem so when you bottom line is I took my modem in and they exchanged it but the store was so busy I mean these people were just fighting about their plan that they wanted to upgrade to this a daughter and 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 her mother and it was like boy the store was so busy because you're waiting for the guy and I just had to exchange my modem Um, But I think the bottom line is if you have a modem, you should always plug it into Surge Protector. Because the guy said to me, yeah, we find out sometimes if you plug it into just a regular plug, sometimes it fries the components. So something was wrong with the modem, but the fact is that I tried to unplug it and then replug it back in to get the modem to work, which didn't work. It actually made it worse. So it wasn't really the phone's problem. So you get the internet restored back. And then Sunday night, we had um, a Super Bowl party where we all came together. But it wasn't just the men. It was like, you know, anybody could come, wives, families, uh, anybody. I think that was way more fun. I don't really follow football, so I really wasn't following the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, this was a chance for us to fellowship, get together. Some people played games, and there was pizza and cookies. And it was really a nice opportunity for the church family to come together, so kind of helped in that and really enjoyed it kind of helped in the cleanup afterwards so quite a busy weekend anyways why don't we pray this is a tomorrow christian today reading genesis 32 in the nlt let's pray dear lord we are doing this to have fun we are doing this to read your word to spend time with you because your word um because the bible is your words I'm not really sure about the different versions. I grew up with the KJV. I don't know why I'm praying this now, Lord. Um, But we are going to read it in the NLT for understanding, for wisdom. And we ask you to send your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to get something from this. Help us, Lord, by spending time with you and by being in your presence and reading your word, that you will chisel us, that you will open our eyes, you will give us great discernment, that we will realize, Lord, um, that we will spend time in your presence and realize your sovereignty and your greatness and your majesty. And we will see you for who you are. 
so that we can understand our place with you in the universe now and in the universe to come. Thanks for listening to my prayer. In the name of the Christ, I pray. Amen. It says, as Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanam. What does that mean? Let me just look it up. There's a little footnote here. It, see, it says it means two camps. That's interesting. The camp, so he named it um, Manhattan. What, what would, why would he name it two camps? I don't know. It's very interesting. I find that very interesting because in my mind, I see here in Revelation, it says, uh, there's something here in Revelation, and I'm trying to find it now. It's Revelation 9, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. That's in Revelation 20, verses 9, and I believe that's the end of the thousand years. And so, so Jacob sees God's camp, but then he names the place Manhattan. Why? why? Is, it, is he saying that his camp is the camp of men? Because in Revelation 20, um, the camp of the saints is surrounded by the camp of men. Um, all the other people who are coming against them, but that camp, the camp of men is destroyed. Is that an allegory for thinking, you know, this, this earth is kind of populated by two beings, by men and by, by God. God is here. Jesus is God with us. God, God came to, G, to earth in the form of Jesus Christ because Jesus never sinned. He was the Messiah, the Christ. He never sinned. He was totally God. He was 100% God, and yet he was 100% man. I've never understood that fraction, but I believe it by faith. And it's funny, and it's not, it's not funny, funny, ha-ha. It's funny, strange, or funny, eerie, or funny, almost incomprehensible, how God is two things at once, two things that seem to be a paradox. God always manages to make them come, come together in him, in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Eden. He told them, give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. So he calls himself a servant and Esau the master. Until now I have been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle and donkeys and flocks of sheep and goats and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. So you know, I see this and I realize, well, according to these notes that John MacArthur has in his ESV, which I also have in front of me, that this man is near 90 years old. So he's kind of old. I guess maybe 90 in those days is not so old, but I just think to myself, this guy's 90. He's not like 50 or 40 or whatever. It's, it's been a whole, he's had a whole lifetime. And if he's 90, what is Esau? I guess they were twins. So Esau is about the same age. You know what I mean? But they didn't part on very friendly ways. Uh, obviously, but he's, but he, but you know, he's very, um, the words are very cordial and very nice. You know, he is, um, he is respecting his brother, calling him master and himself. You're, he says, your servant, Jacob. Uh, verse six, after delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau and he is on his way to meet you with 400 men, <laughs> an army of 400 men. That doesn't sound good doesn't sound like the reaction that he wanted and he says he was terrified of the news he divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups 
He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Well, you know, I guess that's strategic. You know, he's obviously not stupid. This guy is kind of a scientist, right? He's been, he's been using, he's been doing a scientific experiment in order to breed um, sheep with certain blemishes in order to have them mate, right? So he's obviously, he's very intelligent. Um, God has given him a spirit of intelligence, a spirit of wisdom, maybe a spirit of strategy. So he's going to divide the camp now. So if one gets attacked, maybe one can get away instead of the whole group being attacked and overcome by Esau. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my Ab grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land, to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Wow. O Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore, too many to count. I guess he's reminding God of the promises that God has given him. And even when we were talking in our fellowship, don't we do that? Don't we pray to God? Don't we ask God for wisdom? You know, we ask God for a lot of our stuff sometimes. As it was said, we ask God for our stuff. It's always requests. We always have this desire. We want to bring our requests to God. You know, God, do this, do that, do this, do that. Instead of just spending time with God, just spending time in his presence, you know, be still and know that I am God, says God. We, we're not still, we're restless. But, but to be fair, he's very frightened now, right? This is kind of like we're, we're on red alert or this is yellow alert, you know, like the Enterprise where that light keeps on beating and that sound, because he thinks he's going to get attacked. So when you're, when you're in fear, when you get attacked, you're going to go to God. You're going to remind God of his promises, right? So Jacob stared where he was for the night, verse 13. He selected these gifts from his possessions to present to his brother. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to buy off our enemy. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 12, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. Wow, this guy has a lot of animals. He has, I'm just trying to get some shrimp to actually not die. <laughs> this guy's got a whole herd of animals. He's like old McDonald, how to farm, like, you know, 10 times plus. I shouldn't be too callous about it or cavalier. He divided these animals into herds and assigned each to different servants. Then he told his servants, go ahead of me with the animals, but keep some distance between the herds. So he's bringing the presence out first. So I don't know if it's cowardice or stra it's strategy. Right, he's strategizing now how he's going to win in this situation if it goes south very fast. Because who knows? They didn't part on good terms, right? When my brother Esau meets you, he will ask, whose servants are you? Where are you going? Who owns these animals? You must reply, they belong to your servant Jacob, but they are a gift for his master Esau. Look, he is coming right behind us. So, you know, he knows, he knows the right words to say. He is very tactful and he is very diplomatic. Jacob gave the same instruction to the second and third herdsmen and to all who followed behind the herds. You must say the same thing to Esau when you meet him and be sure to say, look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. Jacob thought, I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent that night in the camp. So, the gifts are going ahead and he is spending that time, you know, 
uh, he's, he's spending time in the camp. During the night, Jacob got up and, and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. So, you know, there's not a lot of rest going on. He's, he's doing work, you know. I mean, he's, there's, there's a lot of things to be done. There's a lot going on. It's not like we're having a really peaceful life right now because things could go wrong and he's hoping for a good outcome. Isn't that what we're all doing with God? We're all hoping for a good outcome. We're all God, God believers, God fearers. But at the same time, we do get scared. It's sometimes it's hard to trust God. We do know that just, you know, just because you're a believer doesn't mean everything is going to go the way you want it, right? When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. So it says a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. It says that the man saw that he would not win the match. The man? You mean Jacob was winning? I mean, Jacob is wrestling somebody, okay? So somebody shows up and starts to wrestle, or maybe he thought it was an intruder. I don't know. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Does Jacob know who he's wrestling with? Is this the Messiah? You know, they talk about Christologies, which are like, I don't know, um, pre, pre-incarnate, you know, or um, visions of Jesus or sightings of Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem. They call it Christological appearances or something like that, right? pre-incarnate appearances of a man who is God. Is that an angel? Is that God the Father in the flesh? Is that Jesus in the flesh? Or Jesus as, you know, because obviously he's wrestling with somebody who's solid, right? He's not wrestling with a goat, ghost or a wraith. It says, what is your man? What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. So does Jacob know? Or maybe Jacob is just saying that somebody has been sent, you know, why did he ask him to bless him, though? I, I really have to look at um, John MacArthur's notes. Let, let me look at um, John MacArthur's notes. Let's see. So that was verse 24. It says, The site named Peniel, or face of God, given by Jacob, and the commentary given by Hosea, Hosea 12.4, identifies the man with whom Jacob wrestled as the angel of the Lord, who is also identified as God, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. A pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, it said Hosea 12 verses 4. What does it say in Hosea 12 verses 4? Let me see if I can find that. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us. So somehow is this wrestling, is this, is this part of God's plan? Is it part of God's plan for us to wrestle through life? Are we, like, are we wrestling God? You know, one commentator said, we're not wrestling God, we're wrestling life before God. I guess that's an allegory for what happened. But I believe, and, and that sounds very true to me, but I do believe that he was actually wrestling, physically wrestling with someone who I perceive to be God or an angel of God. I'm not really sure. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. 
So is that what the name Israel means? He has fought with God and with men. So your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Jacob's personal name, this is John MacArthur's um, study Bible notes, changed from one meaning, heel catcher or deceiver, to one meaning, God's fighter or he who strives with God. Are we striving with God? Are we striving to be like God? Are we striving against God? So many people seem to be striving against God. They seem to be going against God or putting their energies into into fighting God. I mean, it just you talk to people and it just seems like they're 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 angry with God or God hasn't done enough for them or there's no God or if there was a God, why is there evil? I hear that so many times. And I used to wonder too, but doesn't the Bible say that we brought it on ourselves, that we didn't trust God? Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with God. God walked with them and we are the ones that didn't trust the mistrusted God, you know, and, and the story in Genesis is that uh, an alternative voice was tempting Eve, was tempting both our parents, our earthly parents, our earthly ancestors. And both of them decided to eat the fruit. And the fruit was a sign that they had already mistrusted God in their heart. They didn't trust God. They went with their own will, with their own ideas. They went their own way. They didn't want to live under God's um, accountability. They wanted to live on their own system. Isn't, didn't we kind of bring this on ourselves? Because the absence of God, is, is that not evil? Or, you know, evil is kind of when God is taken out of the picture. It's the emptiness. It's, it's what's left. It's, it's, it's the no power of God. God is gone. So things start to go south. Isn't that what sin is? Anyways, it says... Uh, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him, from now on you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. So I, I did also, you know, read that Israel means overcomer. Isn't that what we are? We are spiritual Israel. We are Christians. We are overcomers. We have to overcome the world. We have to overcome the, our own flesh through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a verse that I was trying to memorize in the Bible. And it's Romans, let me see if I can find it quickly. It's Romans, I wish I had more fingers like an octopus, trying to go to these various person. It says here, so then brother, brothers, Romans 8 verses 12 in the ESV, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So by, led, by being led by the Spirit or empowered by the Spirit or the Spirit is your new operating system, you are putting to death um, the deeds of your flesh, of your mind. You are overcoming them. You are wrestling against yourself. God inside of you, the new covenant, is wrestling against the old man of sin who has been defeated at the cross but who is still alive. In a way, you know, Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't do, those are the things I should do. There's like a spiritual dichotomy here. You know what I mean? So, there's kind of like a spiritual bipolarness. We want to do what is right, but there's still something broken inside of us. And we need the grace of God to overcome this. So we are Israel, we are overcoming. Sometimes I don't feel like an overcomer. 
Like I got so frustrated when this modem fried. I got so frustrated and I found some old notes because then I'm trying to find all the username that I have and the password in order to get to the app to be able to test the modem. And my modem failed on Saturday. And on May 19th, I wrote it down, 2021, my modem failed in the exact same way. Something got fried in it, it wasn't working. And I had written down notes that when that happened, I got frustrated and said things I should not have said. In May, on May the 19th, 2021, and again on Saturday, I did the same thing. I literally reacted negatively, trying to plug and unplug and reboot the modem. It was the same frustration, the same anger, the same, why isn't this working? It was working this morning. The, the flesh is still very much alive, even in the life of a Christian. You are battling yourself. You are like your own worst enemy. The devil is your worst enemy, but you in a way are kind of your own worst enemy because you want to do what's right. Then you get frustrated. Then you get angry at yourself that you got frustrated and it's like auto catalytic. And then I say to myself, have I ever really progressed as a Christian? Am I really that much nicer? Do I really have the Holy Spirit? Maybe I should just give up. I just, sometimes I just feel I just give up on this. Just don't bother anymore. Just live your life. Don't worry about all this church stuff. What do, what are you going there for? You, you hear a sermon, you try to go to it, you talk, you dialogue. But just, I don't know, just step out of it and just stay at home and just do it yourself and just look at YouTube videos. That's good enough, isn't it? Why bother, why bother go? Why bother try? Is it really working? Is that me talking or is that the devil talking to me? Is that my flesh talking? Like, just, just give up. You, you haven't really learned how to be patient. But then I realized, like, what, where else am I going to go? Like Peter said to Jesus, where are we going? Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? And he says, where are, you, where are we going to go, Master? You got the words of life. And I just feel like sometimes that's what wells up in my soul. Lord, you got the words of life. I know you're telling the truth, Lord. I know you're not lying to me. I know this is not just a story. I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I know it wasn't just somebody getting killed on a cross because he was saying too much and the religious leaders didn't like it. It's more than that. It's, it's way more that, that somebody could die on a cross on a Friday and somehow an, an event happens and all the people that were running scared all of a sudden turn and become part of a church and are willing to give their lives. For what? A story? Why would people be willing to give their life for someone who died on a cross unless the resurrection that the Bible says happened really did happen? It must have happened. Why would James, the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, all of a sudden become the president of the Jerusalem church, even getting himself martyred? Rather than going back to the, their religion that they had, to stand up and say, I, I believe and I, you are not going to tell me that what I saw with my brother rising out of the tomb and walking around, you're not going to tell me that did not happen to the point of I, I'm going to, um, I'm not going to recant because he never did. He got martyred. It has to be true. We have to overcome our doubts. We have to overcome our fears, but we do it in the power of the spirit of God, not through our own efforts because we're weak and fickle and human love is, is self-centered. It's not other centered and it's fickle and it's vacillating. 
The praise of men is vacillating, but the praise of God is forever. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Verse 30, Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Jesus said, no man has seen God but me. But then the Bible says, only God says, oh, I see, God, I see Moses face to face. Don't, aren't we supposed to seek the face of God? Maybe I haven't actually seen God's face, but I've seen his face in my mind. I've seen his face in my, in my, in my mind, in my faith. I've seen God's face. I mean, it's a huge face. It's a fiery face. His eyes glow. There's power in those eyes. But there's also love and compassion. I have seen the face of God in my faith, in my mind. So maybe is that what Jacob means? Because well, he, he must have looked into the face of this person that he was wrestling, this angel of God. And he says, I've seen God face to face and my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. I wonder if he had an injury for the rest of his life. Do you think? Paul said uh, to, uh, in the Bible somewhere, he said, I know that you would have taken out your eyes and given them to me. Somewhere, I think it's in Galatians, and people say, well, he got blinded by the light. He was blinded by the light. That sounds like a song. Blinded by the light. But he, forever, his eyes would be weak. Was he nearsighted or farsighted? I can't remember which one. But that injury was part of his conversion. And maybe it would be with him for the rest of his life. Maybe Jacob had a, a reminder, a, a hip problem. Maybe he always had a limp. Jesus is always going to have our scars on his body. That's what everybody says. Why, why did God resurrect Jesus? Jesus has been beaten to a pulp by the Romans. Why resurrect him with scars? Why not just resurrect him perfect? Why leave the scars there? It's a reminder to who? Jesus? For what he had to do, what he had to go through? For us? I don't think we're going to have scars in heaven, but Jesus will. But I think all these guys, I think Jacob had a limp. I think it's my personal opinion. It's, it's not fact. Maybe it's, it's not important that he always had a limp to remind him what he had to go through to overcome sin, to overcome his own old man of flesh. That's what I think. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Wow. So that was somehow a, a story or a myth that sort of developed from that. And I don't think it was a myth, but I'm just saying, you know, when people tell stories and tell stories, they always remember the fact that their ancestor, Israel, Jacob, the father of Israel, strained his hip fighting against the man of God. It is a strain. But Jesus said, take care. The world is hard, but take care. I have overcome the world and you will too. By God's grace and love. God bless you.